Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Perkins Platform. This is a solutions-oriented podcast and live radio show. Each broadcast, we dedicate just about 30 minutes to explore topics of interest for leaders and professionals in education and a variety of other disciplines, and this is your host, Brian Perkins. Uh, I, I think some of you know already that I'm excited about today because I've posted on LinkedIn uh, the very special guest that we have today, uh, someone who is in elite um, cadre of writers and who has been celebrated and awarded uh, the coveted uh, Pulitzer Prize and someone who is a novelist, a playwright, and a teacher. Uh, and I have her here today describe not just her book. She has a book entitled Quitting, A Life Strategy, uh, The Myth of Perseverance and How the New Science of Giving Up Can Set You Free. Uh, but we're also going to talk about and hopefully expand on and hear some of her thoughts about uh, what has been happening uh, in in our society today uh, around quitting and around um, how people have have basically devoted themselves to lives that uh, they don't recognize anymore. And so, uh, without further ado, I'd like to welcome um, uh, our very special guest today, um, uh, Julia, uh, Julia Julia Keller. Uh, and so um, I'm just excited to be uh, able to host her tonight. So welcome, Julia. Oh, thanks so much, Brian. It's a pleasure to be here. Yes. So, Julia, tell me a little bit. I, I mean, I'd love to hear a little bit about your your trajectory. Um, I know you've been a journalist for a number of years. And uh, did you start out writing, was it novels first? Or how did you how did you develop as a writer? You know, I always wanted to be a writer, probably a novelist. I think at one point I even thought I, something outlandish like a poet and all of that. But, of course, there was that, that pesky little thing about having to earn a living. So I, uh, I was an English major in college, and so my second goal then was going to be an English professor. My father was a math professor. Somehow oh. I kind of bum, I bumbled and stumbled my way into journalism, and I uh, have been a journalist for a number of years. But in the back of my mind was always that, uh, that goal of, of uh, novel writing. So I was fortunate enough in 2012, I uh, began to publish a, um, a series of mystery novels set in my home state of West Virginia. And I was able to uh, leave journalism at that point. The novels did, did, did well. And I've been, I've been a teacher, a college professor, and uh, various uh, institutions while continuing the writing career. Um, this book, Quitting, was kind of a return to nonfiction, which I dearly love. I mean, there's nothing I like better than researching a topic and interviewing all the smart people I can find uh, about a particular topic. That's one of the great delights of my life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Uh, and, and so you, you said you were an English professor. Yes, yes. yes so. um, I, got a PhD, I got a PhD in, in English literature while I was uh, working as a journalist. So I, was always, I always had a foot in several different worlds, and um, it, it just, I was never quite able to decide what might be best. I have to say, I always thought I would be naturally gifted as a teacher, and I'm really not, but that gave me uh, an even finer appreciation for great teaching. 
You know, mm-hmm. if, if there's something that you don't do so well yourself and then you see it done just exquisitely well, now yeah. I understand. I mean, to, to me, it's the most difficult thing we, we ever do as human beings. I, I found yeah. it um, emotionally challenging as well as intellectually challenging, even spiritually challenging. Mm. It's, uh, it's quite the most, um, as I said, really the most exalted profession in terms of its value to society and yeah. really underrated by people who haven't done it. I always, I always appreciate hearing some of these uh, legislators in certain states. They'll say, oh, teaching, anybody can do it. And I'm saying, <laughs> just put them in the classroom for a week. Right. Well, a week. <laughs> do, you, do you really think they would last that long? They would not. You are exactly right, Brian. They wouldn't right. even last that long. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, yes. I, you know, it's interesting. I um, am, am, uh, I'm a professor, but I uh, was told very early uh, in my, in, in my under, well, I shouldn't say early in my undergrad, but in my career, um, I had just finished college and uh, one of the uh, professors um, literally weeks after I graduated asked me to stay behind for the summer and, and teach a class. And I was headed off to um, uh, New England where I was going to be at the medical school and, and he asked me to stay behind and teach a class for him. It was going to be a short summer session, three or four weeks, I can't remember. And I never will forget, he sat at the well, stood at the door, and as I was leaving one day, he said, I think you missed your call, young man. And I just kind of yeah. laughed. You know, I, I shrugged my shoulders and laughed. And it's like, you got to be kidding. No way I'm going to be a teacher, a professor, or anything else. Hmm. And, and here I am. So yeah, um, yeah, yeah, you know, I I I agree with you. It's it's it, at all levels. Um, it's a it's a really um, uh, challenging profession, um, and and so I, I I'd love to hear how you got to. I know you say you you wrote novels. Um, you were doing journalism. How did you get to nonfiction? Uh, in this way, I, I I don't know, you know, kind of like the the span of of books you've written, um, but how did you how did you venture into nonfiction? You know, it had always been in the back of my mind because I, that's what the the part about journalism I really enjoyed was to find a topic that I was interested in and that I assumed if I'm interested in it, other people will be too, and follow the thread of my curiosity about it. Uh, through a lot of really hard work, you know, doing hundreds of interviews. In fact, that's, that's what I did in preparation for this book, Quitting, uh, which I realize is very counterintuitive. I know for your listeners, they're probably thinking, what in the world is she talking about quitting? Yeah. What do you mean? Yeah. You know, particularly yeah. as teachers, it's just the encouraging kids. And actually, I, say, I actually have a chapter in the, in, in the book where I do interview a lot of really fine teachers and ask them that very question. Um, it, it seemed to me that we, we overvalorize perseverance and we tend to shame and even sometimes even humiliate people who have quit something, who have made another decision, who have, who have, who have made what I call a pause and a pivot and made a decision to go a different direction in their life. I certainly mm-hmm. did that many times. I'm sure you have as well, and you know other people yes. who have. And there should not be any shame at all in it. What I yes. argue is that in the, in the animal kingdom, we see it all the time. Animals quit all the time. It is a survival strategy. Animals mm-hmm. have to decide. Where, where do you put your resources? Where do you put your energy? If you're putting it in the wrong place in the animal kingdom, they'll, they'll perish. You think right. of, of an animal. The example I use are the finches on Galapagos Island. 
when they are, they, their, their diet consists of a seed inside a very tough, tough-sided weed. If they spend too long going after a particular seed and just say, I'm not going to give up, I'm going to get that one, they'll die. I mean, birds live on a very thin margin of existence. They must sure. quit in order to survive. Mm. And I, I, if we sort of expand on that, I think sometimes teachers are called upon to make a decision. When kids come to them and say, all right, I'm not getting this. I'm not doing well in this. I want to quit. I want to make another decision. I want to go in another direction. Society now really overvalorizes and overcelebrates this idea of grit. And it's got to be gritty. You've got to yeah. hang in there. Yeah. And often hanging in there is, is foolish and short-sighted and doesn't take us where we want to go. So my own life has kind of been an example of that. I often tell the story early on. My first foray into graduate school was a complete disaster. I had uh, graduated from uh, my, my undergraduate degree when I was 19, really young, not because I was some kind of whiz. That wasn't it at all. I had just managed to cobble together courses in the right way, graduated, went off to graduate school, and it was terrible. It was not the right time for me. It was not I never lived away from home. I was emotionally very immature. And I tell the story in the beginning of my book about the moment when I was sitting on the floor of a crummy little apartment in Morgantown, West Virginia. I was going to West Virginia University. And it really was a watershed moment for me because I was at, so, at such a low emotional ebb. I was, I was, I was just absolutely bereft. I, was, I couldn't go another moment. I was so upset. Mm-hmm. I wanted to quit. I knew quitting was the right thing to do, but I was afraid of being called a quitter. And we all have that in our bones. This idea of like, oh, I don't want to be a quitter. So we end up not making the change that we need to make because of that fear of being called a quitter. And that was kind of the essence of the book. And that was the, I ended up in the book interviewing about 150 people about times when they quit. What made them quit? What was that last straw? What was that final moment that pushed them over? And what was the outcome? I mean, sometimes yeah. quitting is not the right thing to do. But my argument is that we know in our souls when it is the right time to make a change, but we let, we let that knowledge get overwhelmed by society's really misguided uh, veneration of grit and perseverance. Yeah, yeah. Uh, interestingly, just today, I teach a class in leadership and decision-making, and just today mm-hmm. we, we talked about uh, a case where students were placed in a situation that we asked them uh, to make some decisions about whether they, uh, they stayed in a position. You know, we, we gave them data and information about the conditions, and we said, so you got to decide, do you stay in the position where you are? Mm-hmm. Do you take mm-hmm. a promotion, or do you just move on? And so it just fell out that way, and then here we are today talking about this, but um, but one student uh, that I, I, I want to share something that one student uh, wrote uh, that just a, a, um, a couple of sentences that I had to go back and address because it, it, it really, it, it was some deep reflection on when we were talking about the teacher uh, profession that, that to me got to the core of it, uh, that of what happens sometimes what motivates people and what does not motivate them. But in a lot of cases, leadership plays a big role in how people feel about the work that they're doing. And so I'd yeah. love to hear your thoughts yeah. about, about that. But one of the things that they said, uh, what, what this particular student said was that uh, because w- what, uh, 
this is a reflection piece, but that um, because with my co-professor in this course, we were talking about how important it was to push teachers to help close the achievement gap. And yeah. so, mm-hmm. so what the student said, when exhorting teachers' intensity to close the achievement, the achievement gap, be conscious that teachers have five performances a day for 180 days. And mm-hmm. so I, I thought about it that, you know, what, what the student was essentially saying was that, you know, we're only human. And yeah. you're asking yeah. a lot of people to say, mm-hmm. do, because I did say, um, it's what's required. It's what's required of this job. And so, you know, the pushback was, yeah, but we're only human. Uh, and I heard that loud and clear. Tell me your mm-hmm. thoughts about how do you see it as, is it as clear as you will, you will hear that inner voice, but it, is there a lot of interference? that happens when all our lives you've been told don't quit. You know, I shared that's, when I was, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, no, I was going to say, I loved your word interference. That's exactly yeah. right. Because if you do yeah. think of it as like a very clear radio signal and then there's yeah. interference or static on yeah. the line, I think we do know. And of course, that is the great question of our lives, be it relationships, be it jobs, be it anything that we're pursuing. The great question is, to stay or go. In fact, in neuroscience, that's what they call it, stay or go decisions. How do okay. our brains make that determination? And that's, that's what I really delve into, and particularly in the initial chapters, is we are, we are constructed. Our brains are constructed to make those decisions, and we, mm-hmm. we're weighing many factors. And it, the whole brain is involved in these decisions about whether to quit or whether to stay the course. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, mm-hmm. initially, it is, it is good to stay the course. Of course, perseverance can be a good thing, but it also can be a terrible thing and a, a life-denying thing, and even a deadly thing. And I talk about yeah. um, athletes. You remember there was a rash of athletes there uh, several years who would push themselves, even when they knew that they were on the practice field, they were, they were dying of heat stroke. The body sends signals and says, you must quit, but we override those signals. That's why I really liked your word, interference. That's what happens. Yeah. We override. Yeah. And I, I maintain one of the reasons we do is because there has been this historical veneration of perseverance, which – I trace back actually to the middle of the 19th century when the Industrial Revolution was just getting started and we, we needed to find a way to explain income inequality. And, of course, since then it's only gotten worse. Um, mm-hmm. But we wanted, people wanted to say, well, it can't just be that, that, uh, that, that, that you know, we were not all equal. So what would happen is um, people that were the bottom of society were told, well, it's because you didn't work hard enough. Uh, and, yeah. and it was a, you can it was see the way it became very yeah, it was about being more productive for their profit. That's exactly right. So what would happen is you were told that, well, if you want to be rich, the reason that you're not Elon Musk, the reason you're not Bill Gates, I mean, we still do it today, is because you didn't work hard enough. You quit, completely yeah. ignoring, completely ignoring the fact that we, are, we, are, we all come to the table with different abilities and different disabilities. Some people are born, of course, with profound um, emotional, intellectual disabilities. People are born black or brown in this predominantly white culture. Uh, you're born female. You're born, we're born all these different ways, but society loves to tell us that if we're not thriving, it's our fault. It can't be the fault of a tax system that, that privileges the wealthy. It can't be the result of 
prejudice and bias that we know exists in this society. It's a way, I, I believe, of letting the wealthy off the hook, and it's gotten us into this fix now. So, I mean, that's why I mentioned quitting as being right at the very center of the questions about our lives and about what kind of world we want to create, because it really gets at the heart of what kind of a world we want. And we don't want a world that refuses to acknowledge that we are born with different abilities and disabilities and that people struggle very hard and sometimes are not able to get past the circumstances of their upbringing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so our answer is suffer through it and keep going. Even even though the message here is not just give up easily, but, but the message that we've often been given is, suffer through it. I, when, when I posted to share on social media with, um, you know, the, the world about um, our conversation tonight, I reflected because I thought about this poem that I learned uh, when I was in college and it was called don't quit. And Ah. we we memorized it. I'm sure you've heard it, (laughs) but, um, (laughs) but, but, but it, we, we, we learned it as a part of a process. I was pledging a fraternity. And, and uh, so you have these, these moments when you, you, know, you want to just give up, like, no, I'm not going to do this. I can't do this anymore. But you learn this poem that, that really pushes you mentally uh, that says uh, one, one line in it is about it's when it feels impossible that that's when you mustn't quit uh, is when mm. it feels like it's impossible to accomplish this. That's the very moment you don't. And, and, you know, as I mentioned to you before we got started, you know, that um, there, there's this, and I don't know if I want to call it a, that was a, a fad or a, a, a phenomena, but, but most recently we learned that, people were engaged in this, what they described as quiet quitting. Um, and I'd love to hear your thoughts about that, where uh, oh, at least a, yeah. sec- a section of a, ge- of, of a generation saying not doing this anymore and we're, we're not, we're, we're not going to be slaves to the job. And so we're quitting. You know, I was, I was already embarked, well embarked on this book when quiet quitting became a thing. And I have to say, I despise that idea. To me, Quiet quitting is cheating. It's thievery. You're, you're saying you're going to do a job and you're not doing it. You're just trying to cheat your boss. I mean, quiet quitting to me. If you, if you want to quit something, then have the guts to quit it. Have, mm-hmm. have the courage to quit it and do something else. Quiet quitting, as I said, it, to me is just, is just a real uh, a cheat in a sneaky way. I, mm-hmm. What I prefer is what I call quasi-quitting, which means you don't have to quit something altogether. It doesn't have to be all or nothing. You can try to tailor your job or your relationship or, or whatever you're having an issue with, try to tailor it more to what will work for you, more to your liking. So you can mm-hmm. quasi-quit. I say that quitting doesn't have to be like a toggle switch, like a light switch on the wall on or off. It can be more like a rheostat dial, you know, where you can dial it a little bit up or a little bit down. So you, there's nothing wrong with crafting your life the way you want it to look. Right. So that can cover jobs, relationships, um, spiritual, spiritual situations. Um, all of our journey through life is that idea. We turn it up and we turn it down and we leaving things that aren't working for us. But no, the whole notion of quiet quitting is that it just, 
it, it just made me shiver with distaste because it just, yeah. that's just yeah. any any job that I haven't been willing to quit, I still do a good job. I mean, I yeah. this idea, yeah. you know, if you if you take somebody's, if you take the paycheck, then you do the work, and you don't. The quiet quitting to me just seemed really ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, but it, but it was a thing, and perhaps still a little bit. But as I said, uh, to me, quasi quitting um, is 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 much more much more to the point. And you know, the, yeah. the self help movement, I think we ought to mention, comes in comes comes to play in this too. The self help movement, which also began in in the 19th century, and my issue with that is is the same. It tells us that if we simply follow a list of prescribed rules, if we do, you know, numbers one through ten, if you follow what I tell you to do, and you buy my book, and you buy my, you know, my exercise program, or you buy my nutritional guide, then you'll be fine. You can do this. And if you quit, well, that's your problem. If it doesn't work for you, it's because you quit too early. It's it's mm-hmm. that blaming and shaming idea which we see. I think some parents doing sometimes, some teachers, and and it. What I hope for is that. If we come to see quitting as a life strategy, as a creative and dynamic strategy, we'll get away from this blaming idea, and we can be a little kinder to each other, a little, a little gentler, a little more understanding. That we all fail, we all fall short from time to time, mm-hmm. and there are times we need to stay the course, but there are also times when we need to pause and pivot. Yes, yes, I love that—the pause, the pivot, and and, and that that gives a it's it's a different twist to quitting it's that it's really about change and i heard you mention change yeah. uh earlier um in your in in your research did you notice generational differences uh were there were there groups that were younger had a pattern that was different than older groups you know i have to tell you that's what i Expected to find. I expected mm. that people who were older, say people who were in their 50s, 60s, I thought they would be much more imbued with the grit and perseverance idea. You know, people, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, that Horatio Older idea. I thought that's what I would find, whereas younger people, you know, millennials, I thought they would be more like, yeah, well, you know, I go from job to job, it doesn't really matter. But you know what I found? Even the younger people, even the younger people were really trapped inside this not quitting vortex, the idea that if you quit, you fail. If you quit, you're a loser. And again, that was a big surprise to me. Uh. It just made me think it's really, it's really society-wide now. And even, even you know, some undergraduate students that you meet these days, they, I, would find, um, I would find there was that, still that same sense of shame. If they needed to quit a course of study, change their major, into a relationship that wasn't working out, that maybe their parents and all their friends thought was just dandy, but it just wasn't right for them. It was still that sense of shame and guilt about quitting, mm-hmm. which, mm-hmm. again, made me think that it really is, it really goes so deep into our culture, this idea yeah. of not quitting, that it does tend to transcend even these generational lines. But I take your point because I certainly expected that to be true. I thought older people, they will be, much more with, you know, make a fist and, and stand your ground and younger people right. be more flexible and nimble. And actually, we all are. We all have that inside. I know I, I still have it to this day when I, want to, when I want to change things. I think about changing things up and there's still this idea about people are going to say like, oh, and now she's off doing something different. As yeah. if, you know, there's a negative judgment with that. Right, right, right. Oh, and there, there definitely is that. Um, and I, I've heard because even personally, one of the biggest struggles I had was thinking about 
even if I shift to doing something that feels so much better for me, uh, what what will people think about the fact that I I changed directions? Um, will that be seen? And I and and we also hear about this in job circumstances where you see on a resume. Uh, I'm actually kind of excited by when I see that. And I, cause I want to ask questions about what, what, what led you to make this change? What, what insight yes. did you yes. gain from this change? I think it, it's for me, it's, it's precisely the kind of person I want around in an, in a learning organization for sure, but an organization that thrives on innovation and, and creativity uh, people who yes. have yes. done the pivot to me are well suited for that. Great point, great point. And yet, as you know, if you have changes and a lot of different things on your resume, there is this fear that people are going to look at it, employers or people making decisions about uh, courses of study are going to look at that and think, oh, a flake, can't, can't, yeah. can't stick with yeah. anything. Um, yeah. But I'm with you. I think it shows a, a, a nimbleness. It shows a nimbleness of um, a spirit as well, you know, of, of trying something new and trying something different. In fact, I often quote one of my favorite epitaphs is Ronald Knox, who was a theologian in the uh, early 20th century. And his epitaph was, and again, this was the most beautiful one I ever heard, six words. All his life, his spirit grew. Mm. I thought that was the most beautiful epitaph mm-hmm. ever. And if you think of it, if your spirit is growing, it means you're changing. So yeah. you have to change in order to do that. And, and I think this has particular relevance to teachers, as you, as you mentioned, because what do you do when a student comes to you and they're not getting it? And they say, do I stick with this or do I do something else? Either I'm not getting it or this no longer is a subject that I have the passion for that I thought I would have. So teachers are so often called upon to decide, I mean, how do you be a mentor to someone? Does being a mentor mean to tell them, nope, stick with it, hang in there, call me when, you're, you know, when your spirit flags, call me. I'm, I'm right there. I'm going to push you through. Or mm-hmm. does being a good mentor mean you say, well, let's talk about this. Maybe yeah. this isn't the right place for you to be. Yeah. I mean, it's a very delicate, delicate balance, and it's a very difficult and challenging mission that we set for ourselves. Yeah. Um, I mean, living life is hard anyway, but then when we're in a position where we're trying to inspire others as, prof- as teachers, professors, as leaders of any kind, um, we, it's a very, very challenging place to be because it, it's so particular and so individual and specific with each of us. Yes, yes. And and. Even when people are part of your organization and have been a part of the organization, change, and I think maybe that's part of it, is just that change is difficult for a lot of people, particularly in, uh, in leadership uh, positions where there's a staff and you've trained people. Uh, mm-hmm. I, however, I, I have, uh, I've started out where I, I never forget some years ago, I had a young lady who came uh, to be a part of the staff, had, you know, excellent credentials, and, you know, the job that um, she was entering, it was an entry-level job, and there wasn't a, a lot of growth because it was, it was a, uh, it, that was the job. It was an entry-level job, and I told her coming in that I thought she had a lot more to contribute to the world. There were a lot of things she was going to learn there. But at the appropriate mm-hmm. time, I expected her to move on and, mm. um, and to go on and do things that 
were aligned with her life mission and life, you know, her life goals. But don't, but don't mm. think that I would be upset because she had learned what she want, She came to learn and decided to move on. Um, and I think um, what, the, the reason I'm talking about that is that I think we, we need to get out of the habit of saying, this is what I do versus the epitaph that you, you just um, talked about that grow, mm-hmm. like have a mm-hmm. spirit of growth. Then when you, when you come back to asking the question, what did you do? Well, I, I, I went there, I learned some things and I moved on. I stopped and I went to do something else. I think it's a, it's a, it's a much, uh, it's a fuller way to experience life too. Yes. Oh, that's beautifully put. Yes. That's, that's a, that's a terrific summary of, um, of uh, what I was getting at. And just again, eliminate the stigma, eliminate the shame. I think of the times in my life where things would have been so different if someone had said, it's okay. You've made this decision. You're doing this. It's okay. Whether it works out or not. I mean, a a wonderful line I read in a, a novel called the midnight library, which is, we can choose our choices, but not our outcomes. In other mm. words, no one is saying that, that everything is going to work out. But what I am saying is that if it's your decision and if you have agency and autonomy and you're making the decision, then grasping that choice and making that decision, you really can't lose. It may not work out precisely the way you hope it will, but you still will be a full human being and live a richer, fuller life. Awesome. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, I, I can't believe that we're already at the end of our time together, but I do want to give you an opportunity um, to uh, tell people how they can, where they can reach you again, talk a little bit about the, the full title of your book, but where they can buy your book and other um, uh, books you may have written and articles, but where can people follow you and, and uh, encourage you? You know, I would love to hear from people. My website is um, juliakeller.net. And, again, I love – I get a lot of uh, email from people who have – who will tell me about their quitting stories, and I love to hear that. Sometimes it's worked out, sometimes it's not. But juliakeller.net, I'd love to hear from people. You can contact me through that. And the book is Quitting, A Life Strategy, The Myth of Perseverance and How the New Science of Giving Up Can Set You Free. Uh, available at all your, all your favorite bookstores, Amazon, all the usual places. But again, yeah. I would I love to hear from people. Um, they can also write many other kinds of books, which you can read about on the website. But I, I love talking about this because I truly do believe it's a way that we can all um, – I, I just live lives of, of a little more joy and with a little yeah. more kindness toward each other. So I appreciate the opportunity, Brian. Absolutely. Well, thank you again for the conversation. I learned a lot, and I'm sure people eavesdropping on us uh, have too. Just wishing <laughs> you uh, continued success. Uh, with your with your book and others, I'm going to be listening and reading, looking uh, for new works from you, and hope to hear from you again. And so, until then, go well, stay well. Thank you.